Let us pray. Shatter the silence, mighty God, with your glad and glorious readings. Banish all our fears and give us faith in Jesus Christ, the risen Lord. If there is anything said this morning that is against your will, let it come to naught and do no harm. But if there is anything said this morning that is according to your will, let it be heard, as if sung by the voice of angels, that hearing we might believe, and believing, obey. Amen. So I just have to know, how are all my fellow glasses wearers doing out there? As if it was not enough to have another thing to manage, you know, match your frames to your personality, don't forget where you leave them, keep them somewhat clean, prevent the children from bending them into several pieces. <laughs> now, we glasses wearers have to juggle them with our COVID masks. I remember when I went for the eye test in the first place. I had it coming to me. I walked into that optometrist office with my chest held high and I peered down my nose at the other patients, the ones already wearing glasses or looking to buy new glasses. And I said, ah, yes, thank the Lord I am not like these other men and women. I don't need glasses. And I was forthcoming with the doctor. I was very clear. I told him, I don't need glasses, but my wife thinks I do. And he didn't skip a beat. It was clear to me that he had already heard that one before. So he said, look straight ahead and we'll find out. And I was convinced that the first slide he put up was in response to my hubris. I mean, the letters were very blurry, but I was sure that nobody could read those letters. My shaky performance made him smirk, and I didn't like that. Determined to do better with the next slide, I focused in and blurted out the letters E-O-F-C-T-P. And I have no idea how accurate I was, but the next thing I knew, he had me looking through another contraption and asking, is it clearer with one or two, three or four, five or six? And, and all of this and then some very painful drops of what I still believe to be poison in my eye and the doctor told me that I needed a prescription for astigmatism. And he seemed to enjoy telling me this. How could this be? I see perfectly fine. But here I am, years later, and in fact, these glasses might, they might, they might just make me see things more clearly. I can only imagine how much I might have missed without them. How had I lost my sight, though, the perfect sight of my childhood, without knowing it? And as humbling as that can be, might the same happen with our spiritual sight? Isn't it awful to think that we might be losing sight of God 
without even knowing it. Can you imagine what we might be missing? Can you imagine that we've lost sight of God without even knowing it and that we're missing little wonders that God is working out right in front of our eyes? Even worse, can you imagine that we are missing massive miracles happening right in front of our eyes? Can you imagine that we're missing the surpassing greatness of God working his promises out right in front of our eyes? Do we need an eye test for what God is up to? Saul did. Saul's story is a tragic tale of lost sight. Once the hero of his family's name, in today's scripture, he stumbles off the precipice of sanity. Even as he and his army return from a notorious victory over Goliath and the Philistines, Saul burns hot with anger and jealousy for the boy David. But he wasn't always that way. Saul grew up in an upper middle class home. Saul's father, Aphia, was a member of the smallest clan in the smallest tribe of Israel, but scripture calls him a man of standing. The Hebrew phrase is Gibor Hayil, which can also mean mighty warrior. So his pond might have been a little pond, but he was a big fish nonetheless. And Saul, on account of his father's good standing and his own dashing good looks, well, Saul was well-known and highly popular in his little corner of the world. He was the all-American boy of his time and place. Still, no one could have guessed that he would one day wear a crown. After all, Israel had never had a king. Then, one day, while Saul is out looking for a few of his father's lost donkeys, of all things, he and his servant track down the prophet Samuel. They're hoping that the prophet might have some idea where they could find the donkeys. And much to their dismay, Samuel knows nothing about donkeys, but he is plenty happy that they've chosen to stop by. Little does Saul know that God has something a tad bigger than donkey hunting in mind for his future. Little does Saul know that God has armed the prophet with a vial of anointing oil in one hand and a crown in the other. Little does Saul know that God has chosen him to be the first king of Israel. That's Saul's backstory. His is not a rags to riches story by any means, but it really is something else that God chooses Saul. He becomes the king of Israel. I mean, he must have, he must have felt so blessed, right? Just imagine how it would be for, for you to be plucked from a small pond and made the big kahuna. If we were given great riches, a beautiful home, a loving family, a position of authority, we would feel 
blessed, right? We would, I'm sure, spend our lives with our eyes on God, right? So how is it? How is it then that we find Saul today a broken man? Paranoid, reckless, and on the verge of a breakdown. Sometimes we lose sight of God in our lives. And most times, like with Saul, we don't even know it. Each of us has had to face different challenges through the years. I'm not sure what yours were. I'm not sure how you grew up. I'm not sure how you and your loved ones made it this far. I'm not sure, I'm not sure what you've overcome. But here you are. Here you are. Can you see how far you've come? Can you see how far God has carried you in this life of yours? As we celebrate the 73rd anniversary of this church, can we see how far the Kirks come? From Colonel George's dream for his up north cottage to a living, breathing community of spirit-driven hope and love, can we see how far we've come? From a band of merry worshipers that gathered in the Undercroft to an extended family of faith that boasts worshipers here today on Long Lake Road, but also in family rooms across the globe and partners in countries in every corner of the world. Can we see how far we've come? From an architectural imagination that envisioned a majestic church to a theological imagination that now says, let's envision a world where every heart experiences God's transforming love. Can we see how far we've come? Can you see how far you've come? Can we, can you pass an eye test? Can we see where God is in us and where God might be taking us next? It is truly terrifying to consider the damage we are capable of when we unknowingly lose sight of God. It's troubling, for instance, to reflect on how quickly Saul went from losing sight of God in his midst to losing grasp of reality in his mind. Out of his anxiety came fear, out of his fear came paranoia, and out of his paranoia came outright hate. He hated, he hated David. God was afraid of this. He was afraid that we might lose sight of him. And it happened to Saul. And it happens to us. And when we lose sight of them, we lose sight of ourselves and we lose sight of our neighbors and their well-being. It's not like it's never happened before, right? 
The Hebrews lost sight of him in their sadness under a ruthless Pharaoh. So what did God do? He sent Moses a burning bush to trigger their memory. Then in the promised land, they lost sight of him again and they ran to other gods. So he sent prophets like Elijah and Ezekiel as a wake-up call. Even in exile, wouldn't you know it, they lost sight of him again. So this time he came down in the person of Jesus to impress his presence upon them. But just before his work was done, he thought, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to leave them something special. I'm going to leave them something to keep their eyes on, something to remind them that I'm always around. And so he sent the Spirit. And the Spirit gave birth to the church. And in the simplest of terms, this is what the church is meant to be. And it is so good to be reminded of this as we celebrate an anniversary. The church is meant to be a way that we all, that the whole world, gets to still see God. When I first got my glasses, I was convinced, at least for a few days, that my needing glasses had nothing to do with what I could or could not see. And I was convinced that the doctor was just trying to sell me glasses to get me on the customer list. But I took my daughter, Grace, to go and see him and she came back with perfect vision. So, so if it wasn't a conspiracy to get me to buy glasses, Maybe I don't see perfectly fine. Maybe I had lost sight and I just didn't know it. These days I'm having to do what a lot of glasses wearers are doing, managing a, a dance with my face mask so that my glasses don't fog up. I know that some Masks fit better around the nose or you can buy a little metal nose piece or flip the ear strings upside down. I know this, but most of the time I find myself <laughs> holding my breath as I try to get in and around where people are. I feel like I have a choice between seeing or breathing. but it works the opposite way with God. The more you see him, the better you breathe. The more we set aside time and intention to see him, the more we fix our eyes on what it means to be a person of faith, the more we clean off the lenses that have fogged our vision for what he has in store for our lives and for our family, and for our church, the better it will be to breathe in the very best parts of life. Amen.